0: We are well on our way in this Epiphany Tide season, the season where we proclaim that God has come to the world and all of our attention is laser focused on what is being revealed in this Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Before I kind of keep going, I just want to highlight one thing. Uh, This week, it's kind of a liturgical uh, thing that happens during the season of Epiphany Tide. Uh, This week, we are going to be celebrating Candlemas. It's a, a, the feast of the presentation of Jesus in the temple when Simeon uh, lays eyes on this child and, and prays the prayer of Simeon. Uh, we will celebrate this, and one of the things we do on Candlemas is we bless candles. Uh, so if you, just as a heads up for next Sunday, we will be having a, a short little liturgy where we'll be, we will be blessing any candles that come forward, so we'll have like a table, we'll set them all up. So if you have any candles at home that haven't been blessed yet, if you want to go pick some up this week to have some candles that will be blessed throughout the year that you can use in your homes, uh, we invite you to bring those this next week. This year, we are spending the majority of our time in the Gospel of Matthew. I think I've mentioned this a few weeks ago. And last week, we heard Angela uh, on talking about Jesus' proclamation of Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? From Matthew 4. Today, we come to the very first of Jesus' teachings that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. The beloved and well-known Sermon on the Mount. Personally, it's one of my favorite places to go in all of the Gospels. But before we dig into the Beatitudes this morning, there's some context that I want to highlight for us this morning. It comes just before our reading from today. In, it starts in verse 23 of chapter 4. Let me read it for us really quickly here. In verse 23, it says Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains people possessed by demons, or having epilepsy, or afflicted with paralysis, and he cured them. This is the backdrop for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Up until this point in the Gospel of Matthew, it's been all narrative. Matthew's telling the story of Jesus from his birth all the way up to these early moments in his earthly ministry. And this little section at the end of chapter 4 Functions as a bit of a summary. This kind of wraps up all that Jesus has been doing in, in Galilee as he's been traveling around. He's been teaching. He's been announcing the kingdom, healing and curing all sorts of diseases. But now here in Matthew chapter 5, the narrative turns to teaching. Matthew introduces to us his, the Jesus' first major teaching in his gospel. And this is a monumental teaching, isn't it? Three whole chapters devoted to the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is significant for Matthew, and it has all sorts of allusions to Moses on the mountain, bringing the law from God to the people in the Old Testament. This is how significant this teaching is for Matthew. And just as Jesus was announcing this kingdom as he's traveling through through Galilee, now in chapter 5, Jesus in his sermon begins to describe this kingdom. Jesus' teaching is all about what it means to live in the kingdom of God that has come near. Just like God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses as a kind of a primer for the rest of the law, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, our text for today. But the Beatitudes aren't intended to be merely a list of rules to be in covenant relationship with God. No, what Jesus is doing here. In the Beatitudes, is giving a description of the kind of life that exists in the kingdom of God. Beatitudes sort of pull back the window, the curtain, and, and give us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives as we have them. Do you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like the poor in spirit, the meek, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers. Stuff that is already actually happening in their midst in Jesus' ministry. In a lot of ways, it's actually hard to describe what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. Because he's not just merely, like I said, giving the disciples a list of rules to follow. Or a new law that they need to abide to. And the best analogy I could think of, and this isn't a great analogy, but the the, the best I could think of was, was what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount here uh, is, is akin to this experience that I had with my son Thaddeus in his, when he first started school back in Milwaukee. We decided to put Thaddeus in a Montessori school. Um, and at this school, they always em- encouraged the parents to come and kind of observe the classroom. So I took them up on it. I, I went and observed the classroom. Thaddeus's teacher at the time was probably had been teaching Montessori style school for like 30 years or something like this. And so when I went to this classroom to observe, I was just blown away at the classroom experience. Many of you who are teachers in the room can understand and appreciate that so much of running a classroom is about creating a culture of learning, right? This is true of any classroom style, not just Montessori. There are, yes, there are like rules that kids need to follow and there's the lesson plan that you need to build and create and follow through. But at its best, all of this is to support this larger vision of cultivating this beautiful learning environment for the kids. So they can flourish. I was blown away at this environment that this teacher had created in her classroom. The older kids were teaching the younger kids some of the activities. All of the kids were getting after their work in the classroom without much complaint, and there were rivers of chocolate and unicorns prancing in the background. And I mean, it's just a beautiful picture, right? Like way over over the top obviously but parents can appreciate this too parents and teachers do you ever have those moments whether you're at home or in the classroom when it feels like everything is in alignment and there is peace in the room or in the house and the kids are playing well together and learning and you're thinking to yourself do not mess this up if it only could be this way all the time right Here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is casting this vision for us of a similar culture, environment of flourishing. What he calls blessing. Makarios in the Greek. He's not just putting forth a new set of laws that we need to abide by so we can be good with God. No, Jesus is describing what life together in the goodness of God can actually look like. Makarios is a pronouncement or a description of human flourishing and well-being in the economy of the kingdom of God. And Macarius' blessing here is a, a description of the kind of life that is on display as we orient ourselves around Jesus. Stanley Harwash said that the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of requirements, but rather a description of life, of, of the life of a people gathered around Jesus. And then he goes on to say that to be saved is to be so gathered. To be saved is to be so gathered around this Jesus. Orienting our lives around his kingdom. Just as some plants, they move their flowers towards the sun. This is the kind of orientation we're talking about here. So two points I want to make before we dig into the Beatitudes. Uh, First, the Beatitudes are not meant... To be read as lofty or sentimental ideals that can be cross-stitched and put up in our living rooms. To be left alone. The Sermon on the Mount was never intended to be left in the realm of nice ideas. Even though we can often treat it that way, right? There's a whole lot of embodiment happening here in the Beatitudes. Remember the backdrop that I was just talked about earlier uh, to the Beatitudes. Jesus didn't just teach the kingdom here in the Sermon. Jesus was embodying the kingdom in his very ministry as he traveled around Galilee, healing and curing every kind of disease. He was literally practicing what he preached, to use the expression. It reminds me of a passage later in Matthew, in chapter 11, when the imprisoned John the Baptist uh, writes or sends to Jesus and says, are you the one who is to come? Is this really your kingdom coming here on earth? And what does Jesus respond with? He says, go back and report to John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And it wasn't just that Jesus was embodying the kingdom here, but the Beatitudes themselves invite us into an embodied life. Don't they? They involve embodied action, poor in spirit, mourning, showing mercy. These are all embodied actions. They're not just something that's left to the realm of ideas. They're things that we feel and we know in our very bodies. Dallas Willard says that the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes here at the beginning help us to see how to actually live the reality of God's present kingdom available to us from the very space surrounding us. Our bodies. Jesus isn't interested in talking about the kingdom and how great it is. Jesus is interested in actually healing and restoring and reconciling in the world. He's interested in a world that is made right. And in the Beatitudes, he blesses those who get this. He blesses those who recognize this logic of the kingdom that's embodied. The last thing I'll say before we turn to the Beatitudes themselves is that Jesus is inviting us into a radical reorientation of life in these verses. Oscar Romero calls it the subversive witness of the Beatitudes, which have turned everything upside down. Everything we thought we knew about the way of the world and the way the world works is turned on its head with the coming of Jesus and his kingdom. And these beatitudes signal that change. God's kingdom is breaking into the world, but not necessarily in the places we would normally think to look. God's kingdom isn't with the powerful and the well-to-do, those who try to take it by coercion or force. It's not necessarily with those who speak the loudest or have the most power and influence and charisma. If we want a sense of what the kingdom looks like, Jesus says, Maybe we should look and pay attention to the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemakers. Maybe we'll find the kingdom among the least of these, the poor, the oppressed, and those on the margins. Maybe just maybe we'll find this Makarios blessing when we come near to these people in our lives. But this runs counter to the way our world works, doesn't it? I once heard a preacher share that everything we learned about the world, we learned on the playground in grade school. We learned about power and influence and popularity there, didn't we? I'm sad to say for those of us who have grown up into adulthood, not much has changed, has it? We learned how power, how influence, how popularity help you get ahead in life. Even if it means at the expense of others. And the goal for so many people is to acquire more and more and more in life. This is the way of the, our broken worlds. This is why the Beatitudes feel so upside down to us and subversive because they run counter to what we learned on the playgrounds. But in the midst of a world that seems to only know how to operate through the lens of power and influence and popularity, today we proclaim the good news that Jesus came into this world to embody and reveal to us an upside down kingdom that through him can truly transform and heal. The world says, blessed are the well to do, those who have it all together. Blessed are those who get ahead in life. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who lack, those who are worn down by the endless plight of being trampled on and whose constant struggle to survive crushes their spirit. The kingdom of God is for them and God will set things right in the end. The world says, blessed are those who are always happy and posting hashtag positive vibes on social media and who show, never show the world that they are actually hurting. The ultimate goal in life for many of us is to avoid all pain and suffering and death But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who see and know personally and intimately that all is not right in the world. And they grieve that. Blessed are those who carry with them the utter grief and sadness of loved ones lost and dreams deferred. The kingdom of God is for them. And Jesus promises that comfort will come. The world says, blessed are the billionaires and those who make a name for themselves. Blessed are those who get ahead in the world, who amass power and wealth no matter the cost. Blessed are those who carve up the earth and take the land for themselves. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the trampled on and the abused. Blessed are those who refuse to live lives marked by power and coercion. Blessed are those who recognize the land was never meant to be taken. The land was always meant to be inherited in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for them. The world says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for everything in our world that ultimately cannot satisfy. More money, more power, more guns, more entertainment, more social media clicks and views, more and more and more. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who understand that the only thing worth hungering after is a world that is restored and made right again. In the scriptures, righteousness can also mean justice, right? It can mean right relationship. Things that were once broken apart are coming together in the light of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is for these, and God will fill these hunger pangs. The world says, blessed are the strong and the powerful and those who show no mercy, especially to those who deserve it. I just recently watched some of a Netflix show called Cobra Kai. Have any of you seen the show? Which, if you know, is based on uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, movies when I was younger, The Karate Kid, And one of the central themes, it's kind of a a silly show in a lot of ways, but one of the central themes that they grapple with in the movie and in the show is this question, is mercy a weakness? Is mercy a weakness? But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Or as Pope Francis famously wrote, the name of God is mercy. The kingdom of God is for them. The world says, blessed are the hypocrites who get ahead in life. It really doesn't matter how you get the results that you get as long as you get them. We don't really care if our leaders are bad people as long as they are successful and get what we want. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who follow Jesus in both their thinking and their doing. Blessed are those who never sacrifice character success but always seek to be and to do good in the world. the kingdom of God is for them. the world says blessed are those who wage war and enact violence in the name of peace. Rome who was who had occupied Judea at the time of Jesus claimed to be the bearers of peace right the Pax Romana the peace of Rome, but Rome's version of peace only came through violence and oppression and we don't have to look very far to see how that actually uh, plays itself out in our world today but jesus says blessed are the peacemakers blessed are those who not only hope for peace in the world but who actually seek it out set their minds to make it happen in the world this isn't wishful thinking this beatitude is Jesus' deep invitation to, for us to be bearers of peace in the world. Not through violence or oppression, but through mourning and meekness and hungering and thirsting after righteousness and justice in the world. The kingdom of God is for them. And lastly, in a world where the good news of the kingdom of God will be seen and understood as foolishness to the world, as we heard from our reading from Paul today, All kinds of persecution can come from that, right? People see us as foolish for seeking after this kingdom. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are they who see and know the wisdom of this upside-down kingdom and are willing to bear it. The kingdom of God is for them. Whereas, what would it look like to be these Beatitudes? to embody them in our lives in a way that runs counter to the way that the world sees these things. What would it look like to be peacemakers in the face of police brutality or in the face of mass gun violence that continues to haunt our nation? What would it look like if we were less concerned with building a world of self-protection and self-promotion and truly hungered and thirsted, for the world to be made right again. What would it look like to align ourselves with the poor in spirit and the meek and with those who grieve? I'm not sure what would happen, church, if we heeded Jesus' invitation to go to these places. But what I gather from these Beatitudes is that these are places of blessing. As we come to the table in just a little while, I'm reminded again of the backdrop to Jesus' sermon, right? Jesus invited people to live in light of the kingdom of God through these upside-down, foolish ways of being in the Beatitudes. But Jesus did not invite people to a place that he was not willing to go himself. As we come to the table and as we receive the consecrated bread and wine, we are reminded that Jesus went first. He embodied the logic of the kingdom in these beatitudes, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We could go down the list and go through all the gospels and point to all the stories of how the kingdom came near in Jesus. He showed the way. And now he is gathering for himself a people to follow him into that way. And so as we come to the table this morning, and as we go out into our week's, I encourage you to take some time to reflect on each of these Beatitudes. Just go through, maybe each day take another Beatitude and just reflect on it. How do they land for you in your life right now? What conflict or conviction kind of springs forth as you sit with the Beatitudes? And be curious. If you're like me, some of these Beatitudes actually feel foolish at times. There are times when I don't want to be seen mourning or be seen as meek. I want this, the world to see a priest, a husband, and a father who has it all together all the time. But the Beatitudes force me to pause and remember that the logic of the kingdom runs counter to the way of the world. And we are all invited to lay down our power our influence, and our popularity, and receive the great mercy and blessing of the kingdom. So let's let the Beatitudes and the logic of Jesus' upside-down kingdom do their work in us this week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.